Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome to episode 24. Uh, today, we are very honored to have a good friend on the podcast, Annie Vo. Annie and I met at, you guess it, the Progressive Calisthenics Certification in New York. Annie was one of the certified coaches who was there teaching the PCC. And we got to catch up and, and talk a little bit more than just what physical culture is, but we got to talk about philosophy, psychology, and why we do what we do. There is a period in this podcast where we sound like old curmudgeons talking about youth and technology, and it really isn't about calling the youth out, more talking about our evolving relationship with technology how it's getting faster and faster, and we're not really geared to respond to that fast-paced evolution and how we can kind of take it back and balance out some of these um, responses to the technology. So we do we do shake our fists in the air like a couple old people, but I think the conversation is really relevant to physical culture but also mental culture and how it relates in everything we do we need to bring conscious awareness to every aspect of what we do to really be present and get the benefits out of what we're doing. So without further ado, here's episode 24. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Annie Vo, welcome Please. to the podcast. Thank you. So it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, do you have any questions before we start? Uh, not really. You know, I was mentioning if you had any specific things you wanted to talk about, but I'm totally down to free form it as well. Good, <laughs> good, because we already started recording. So. <laughs> So we're we're in the depths. Like, well, great because you are in it. Yeah, you're in the depths of it now, so we gotta find our way through it. All right, fantastic. Well, I'm glad to be here. So, Annie, can you um, let my listeners know a little bit about yourself and who you are, what your passions are, and kind of what your story is? Well, I was born and raised in Long Beach, California. And I, it's funny because I was a lifelong, I mean, I played classical bass. I was a professional bassist for most of my life. Um, in fact, I postponed going to college because I thought that I was going to be a professional musician. Um, I realized, like many of my colleagues, that maybe I should be thinking about something else. 
So <laughs> I went back to college, um, obtained a degree in philosophy, and that really set me on my path to fitness because I was on a scholarship at school, and basically I could only afford to go to my classes and the school gym because they were free. Oh, really? So after years of being a musician, I was in the marching band. I, I learned how to play snare drum to be in the marching band in order to avoid gym class. This was how dedicated I was to the music <laughs> life. And so when I went back to college, you know, you just want to get out of your dorm sometimes. So then I was looking at, you know, pull downs and just seeing people at the gym. So by the time I graduated, I moved out to a hostel, basically, mm -hmm. and thought I should get a job somewhere. But, you know, at that point, with my philosophy background, I was really interested in being a lawyer. So while I was studying for the LSAT, I was working um, at the district attorney's office and doing an internship, and then I decided I would get a job at the gym because at this point, I felt pretty comfortable there. I knew that they had pretty nice showers, so I figured if I got a job at the gym, I could at least make a little money, have a clean shower, get ready for my you know job interviews and, and yeah. things like that. So what ended up happening was that I had kind of two simultaneous professional lives. I had my life at the district attorney's office and then my life as a trainer. And ultimately I found that one job, uh, there was one job that I felt like I was doing something positive for someone every day. And in the other role, I wasn't 100% sure that was happening. Right. So fast forward several years later, here I am. Uh, the passion that drives me really is kind of my own experience with fitness. I had been, uh, you know, doing my music thing. And then in school, I love philosophy. I kind of like challenges of extremes. And I'd never really... Uh, gotten into physical culture. So I learned everything from the ground up, like many of my clients that don't have a sports background, how to squat properly, how to, uh, you know, fix imbalances, things like that. And I like the objectivity um, and kind of like the, the lens through which we can discover ourselves because it's so objective. You and I can agree that I lifted it or I didn't, for example. Right. And it's also kind of removed the judgment. So we're not at your job or my job. It doesn't matter how much money you make, that sort of thing. So you can take chances, learn from them, fail at them, whatever it is. But it's like you kind of rehearse uh, a, like low-stakes failure. Right. <laughs> and, and ultimately learn more about yourself. So, um, you know, I'm a huge kettlebells enthusiast, barbells enthusiast, really any tool that gives you a chance to discover these things about yourself. Obviously there's certain physical preferences that folks have, um, depending on your body type or things that you. So I'm down for whatever it is that gets you interested in this process. Right. That's awesome. Um, that's a good summation too. Cause you, you kind of painted this picture of, I think a lot of people think people who are well known in, in the physical culture have always been athletic have always had you know this component of their life where they've always been moving and interested in the process and i think the more oh, yeah the more people i meet who are who do this stuff it's not necessarily the case um, people coming back from being obese or people who have never played a sport or people who play music most of the time 
and have philosophy degrees <laughs> all kind of find some some connection to to the the ability to be able to move and lift stuff and and to do it well and and um functional fitness well it's interesting because uh being a trainer is like any other job there's your interests on the one hand there's what you're good at and then if it's a match between what the job actually demands so you know we met at uh, pcc i guess now it's been a couple of years for, yeah. for those of you out there, the Progressive Calisthenics Certification, um, you know, a lot of folks will come up and say, hey, Annie, I really want to be a trainer. I just love exercise so much. And I end up, you know, I, I, it's funny because, of course, that, that, that's the obvious go-to trait for any trainer. You have to be excited about the fitness. But truthfully, the job demands that you're able to show up on time mm-hmm. and that you like working early mornings, you're open to working at nighttime, um, you know, you need to be available when people are available. So most people are working in the, in the daytime, so you have to make yourself available. Um, I think another big part of the job is being able to be flexible with your schedule. So if you don't like that, if you don't like to have 20 bosses and not necessarily know what your day-to-day schedule is, you're going to become unglued because <laughs> you'll bring that energy into the sessions. You won't be able to pay attention. You'll offload your you know, craziness on your clients and then they won't even get to feel that passion of excitement, you know, that passion for exercise that you have. So I'm like, that's great. You're starting there, but that's what the job demands. If you can get over that, then yeah, your desire to exercise um, is great as well. But then another part of it is describing things, um, relating these concepts to individuals because you have to be able to, I guess I can frame it like this. When clients come to me, they are the way that they are, and they have this vision of where they want to go. My job is to figure out whether that person is so different than the person that they actually today. Like, they could be the same exact person, and it's a question of getting them to realize that. Sometimes it's a totally different person, so we need to make steps to get there. Sometimes, you know, we need to eliminate this idea of this future person or future goal because the, the, the growth is somewhere else. So right. uh, part of that is, I mean, a big part of that is communication. You have to listen to your clients, and I think you have to care about them. And not to sound cheesy, but there's a fine line between caring about someone and kind of imposing your will on that person. Yeah. And I see it frequently where trainers and other people are just like, you have to do this or you should do this. I'm not a huge fan of that because it, it, it's kind of belittling to the person. When someone's coming to collaborate with you and get insight from you, you I mean, I think that in itself deserves a fair amount of respect. Right. So don't lose sight of that. <laughs> Listen to what they're asking and see if you can approach it as a collaborator because that's what you are just because you have some um, additional insight insight on the topic, it doesn't make you better than that person. And right. especially in the realm of fitness, um, individuals are vulnerable. They're exposing their soul. They're making time for you, and it's not cheap. No. So yeah. be kind. <laughs> you know, be, be open, be kind. Um, it's funny because I, I often, too, this is like an ongoing joke of my life. You know, when I was studying <laughs> philosophy, so many people would say, oh, what are you going to do with that? Right. And yeah. as personal trainers are like, oh, what are you going to do with that? Right. 
Um, and now I kind of see it as a badge of honor. Um, as a, On a sidebar, I'm finishing up my master's degree in experimental psychology, which happens to be another discipline that people don't understand very well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they often respond with, what are you going to do with that? So I'm great at finding those disciplines and just falling in love with them. But philosophy has really, I think, helped me be a, a better trainer because I'm interested in the, the process of solving these problems. I have a lot of experience solving problems that don't have an obvious, you know, an obvious conclusion. Right. Um, fitting in different shapes, different concepts, having different uh, problems to solve in different orders. So when people ask me, like, oh, do you, do you think that philosophy was a waste? It's like, are you kidding me? This is my biggest strength, especially right. in this field where every client has come to me, you know, from the ground up as a different person, even between you and I, right? We've come to speak English in different ways. We hold our spoon in different ways. Every experience and memory and taste and smell and sight you've seen has made you who you are. So I'm taking this person and seeing what dials I can, you know, adjust to hopefully get you closer to a goal that you want. Right. So it can't be the same for everybody. And yeah. that's where the fun is. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's so great to hear you, your take on this because I think in what you were saying in the beginning of how you like training, because it's relative to, we can, we can agree on that. I lifted that or I didn't lift that. But I think what you're talking about mm -hmm. too is when, when people come in individually it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage to come in and, and pay for someone to continue and, and to expose yourself and, and kind of say, Hey, I don't know how to do this. I need help doing this, asking for help. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of philosophy in that beyond, you know, like the rules of motives, ponum or tonum or anything like that. Um, <laughs> just that application, we can kind of put it to the side and we can look at the philosophy of, okay, how, how do we work with this person as who they are to help them, them get to the place that they want to be and maybe let go of some of these attachments that they have to really see what their more realistic goal is or how do we keep them motivated and and how do we have that discourse of hey i'm here to train you but you might not like what i like like what we're doing sure and how do we keep you motivated to do that because i think that's also part of the thing you know and any people right. whether it's physical culture or meditation or in my case counseling there are times yeah. they come in and they're like nope not doing this and having a philosophical yeah. mind to to kind of say okay how can i make these connections or how can i portray this in a way that they're going to hear it and they're going to be engaged in it and it's going to get them to where they need to be is a really strong strength yeah i mean you know this uh, from your work um in and out of the gym i mean as a as a you know instructor or counselor or anybody in this field I think that aspect of it has to excite you, you know, so that's going back to when people are thinking about changing careers and doing these sorts of things. I think you have to really like people and like this process and be willing to adapt, you know, and, and get as many tools as you can, whether it's exercise techniques or, you know, really putting yourself, I'm, I'm a firm believer of putting yourself through whatever you plan on implementing others. So I'll be the first to tell you I'm not a bodybuilding guru. 
I know lots of people that do it great, and I'm happy to refer you. That's not really my area of expertise, you know, because I personally haven't done it enough. I understand the basic mechanics, and I could take you through a workout in that style, but I haven't put myself through it, so I don't feel confident that I'm going to be able to support you at all the points that you're going to go through as you develop in this discipline. So part of it is being excited about learning all these things, but the other part I really believe is you have a job through those things yourself. It doesn't mean you have to go to the Olympics, but you have to have, you know, done it in a serious way so that you can be empathetic towards your clients when they hit those uh, roadblocks and those plateaus and those feelings <laughs> as they as they develop. Yeah, and it, it, it's really funny because this just brought up this memory I had a, earlier this week. I got a message on Instagram from someone uh, don't know. And they asked me instead of, well, one, they didn't even say hi. They just went right into, <laughs> into their question. And I always, I always like to at least say, hi, now is my question. Um, and they were just asking me, Hey, can you train me how to do a press handstand? And my first response was, mm-hmm. well, I know the components of, of that, but I can't do it. So I can't teach you the correct way to do it because I haven't experienced that. And then there was this whole discourse of like, okay, well, can you teach me how to do abs and and things of this nature? And I've had to say, you know, this online component of what we're doing with my nonprofit, um, it's not up yet. We haven't, we don't have the programming for online. So we haven't even looked at the pricing Uh or how it would work. And then it was like radio Mm -hmm. violence right after that. (laughs) They're like, like, what do you mean you can't train me right now? And I was like... (laughs) I, I was pretty yeah, open this about is that. definitely a next level stuff. I mean, I will say this: if you are training certain types of high level operating athletes, like the NFL players, et cetera, those their coaches are, are not able to do what their players can do, but they watch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of those right. individuals moving. So I have to put that caveat out there for That's- for most people you have to be able to do what you're telling them to do. If you are an expert at, you know, working with high level operators, I would expect you to be watching hours and hours and right. hours of their movement. Right. So right. it's and not that impossible. I don't watch hours and hours of press handstands. I just, yeah. just don't have yeah, the time yeah, yeah. for that. Yet. But, maybe, maybe the next. <laughs> well, it sounds like this is a goal you're working towards. Yeah. Let's see how we can get there together. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, I heard what you said. Uh, no, that's interesting. But it's funny that you mentioned that this person didn't say hi first. I think this is a generational thing. Um, you know, a lot of young folks that are used to having their iPhone, they know who's calling all the time, right? So they they don't necessarily have to go through this greeting process. You know, I, I don't know how old you are, but you, I remember certainly calling your friend's house. There's one phone for the family. You have to say hi. Yeah. I'm Annie. <laughs> You know, is Steve there? Thank you so much, or whatever. These kids don't have to do that. It's not their fault. It, they just grew up in a world where they didn't have to practice this skill. So I think it's pretty common um, for young folks to pick up the phone and not say hello, for example. Right. I, As you were speaking, I was just going through our messaging on Facebook to make sure when I messaged you to come on, to ask you on here if I did say hi. And I did. So for everyone who's listening... It is something I, I hold true for myself, too. So I just wanted to make sure because I didn't want anyone to question that. You did your due diligence when the transcripts come out? Yeah, I, I don't want anything to surprise. Like in the future, like 
Oh, Steve says it's really important to say hi when you're messaging, and he didn't do it when he asked <laughs> Annie to come on the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is like, you know, far into the future, posthumously, the New York Times editor was like, <laughs> well, we dug a little bit deeper. I actually wrote the guy's obituary, but I didn't realize the whole thing was a sham. If you notice, 50 well, he, years ago when he said that he said hi, he didn't. <laughs> you can't believe anything he put yeah. forth in, in media or anything of that nature. So I, I, oh my gosh. I do want to touch on the experimental psychology because, as you know, I'm a huge psychology yeah. nerd, and, I, and I'm all about how the mind and the body, you know, are one. And there is oh, that yeah. philosophy of the mind, you know, body connection. And I like to go one further and say there's no real distinction between it because it is all uh, interacting with each other. Um, right. So I, I want to well, hear. You know, I mean, this goes back to. Uh huh. No, I just want to hear you about your. Hear about... Yeah. What What drew you to that and what you're loving about it right now? Okay. Well, I mean, we'll take it back to old philosophy. You know, at the Lyceum at the School of Thought. They'd spend an hour on geometry, an hour on physical culture, an hour on mathematics, whatever it would be, because they had this notion of developing the person in, as a whole. So part of your personality, your actual physical brain, right, and your memories and your thoughts and your sensory, uh, you know, touch and taste and things like that. And then the vehicle that kind of carries all of these things. So I've been a huge body uh, I don't know what the right word is, but certainly not expert, but curious about my whole life. <laughs> so enthusiast. I when I got into training, one. yeah, or yeah, hobbyist, hobbyist enthusiast, yeah. right. Like high-fiving from the sidelines, you yeah. know, scratching the surface of. Um, but in training, you know, we see it. I've, I've seen, you know, talking about hours and hours, but worked with hundreds of people over the years and seen their changes. And it's not just sets and reps that change people. Right. It's not just the whatever five by tens that change people. It's part of it, you know, as we discussed before, kind of part of the self-acknowledgement of your efforts and um, your concentration and these sorts of things that you learn about yourself or taking chances or feeling fear or heart palpitations, things like that, that you learn about yourself. But other things happen, too, that change your perception of yourself or the lifting or all these sorts of things. So I really thought, okay, I would love to know more about how to scientifically approach this because I have a lot of anecdotal evidence, but I don't really know how to, I don't know, evaluate my results. I would love to be able to say, hey, here's the Annie program. Here's the modules. This will definitely change someone's behavior or change some aspect of their behavior. Um, so the experimental psychology kind of discipline in general, I'll break it down. I mean, you know that because you're, you're doing individual counseling, that's yeah. kind of one major branch of psychology, working with individuals one-on-one. -on -one. Right. The other part is working with large groups of people. So the experimental psychologists are trying to ask these general broad questions. Um, so our, our sample sizes are upwards, you know, hundreds of people over years. Um, very controlled test environment and a lot of statistics. So I'm loving the scientific aspect of the program to learn how to set up my experiments and, you know, analyze the data and understand the mathematics underlying 
what we decide is viable information. Um, I guess it's kind of interesting, though, because the questions that we're asking in the laboratory by default have to be kind of small right. because it has to be something that we can test over and over again. It has to be something that you can give directions to someone else that they can follow. You know, some of these bigger questions that I have about people's behavior, um, it's almost too difficult to ask that question because there's so many things playing on it. So I'm not saying that I won't come up with a good experiment to test these things, but it seems like it's going to be more of a multidisciplinary approach. Um, Actually, the field of economics offers a lot of help in this area. Like, I don't know if you've read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. He was a a Nobel laureate in economics Mm -hmm. for really introducing a lot of psychological concepts into how we figure out why people are spending their money, essentially. Right. No, I haven't read that. He has this notion of the, oh, it's it's really, really great, especially for what you do. He has this, I'm going to horribly butcher it, (laughs) and give you a very kind of small, um, you know, synopsis of it, but he's breaking it down in terms of the mind thinking fast and slow. So you have like your immediate reaction that's more of like the monkey brain, so to speak, and then your slow thinking. So you have... um, if I say mom, you have this feeling, however it is you feel about your mom, versus what's 365 times 12. Mm-hmm. That's thinking slow. Right. You don't have an immediate response to it, even if you're great at math. So um, he uh, hypothesizes, and, and I think very well, you know, very well-ly <laughs> demonstrates that there, he, he's able to demonstrate and show um, in many cases, regarding economics and social, you know, social phenomena, that it's kind of a misunderstanding between when folks are thinking fast and slow, and as uh, you know, policymakers and psychologists and economists, there's ways that we can kind of work with that information. Right. You know, there was this interesting case of, um, and it's kind of a grim topic, but I think it illuminates this. You have this idea of what you want to change. And then you have the surprise outcome that is anticipated. So in Baltimore, they had uh, rolled out this um, domestic violence uh, statute. You know, in the past, if you if, if a family made a phone call and it was a domestic violence phone call, the police would come by and either maybe arrest somebody, maybe not arrest somebody, mm-hmm. um, or maybe just talk them through it or tell somebody to cool off or take a walk or whatever. So then they made this policy that said, look, if there's a domestic violence phone call, we will absolutely uh, arrest somebody. One of the spouses will get arrested. And this kind of surprise and terrible outcome happened. The rise of domestic homicides went up. And so this was in response to, you know, um, the spouse, I, I, I'm not going to assign who, but whoever the aggressive spouse was, uh, was being kind of agitated by this notion of you're going to, you know, call the cops on me. And the stakes were so high that it escalated the arguments and ended up in more homicides. Right. So a lot of their studies or a lot of the ways that they're implementing their techniques, it's, it's from, from a, a bigger kind of picture scale rather than the smaller Tory questions even though they're just as relevant. So I've learned a lot about kind of how 
these bigger questions have been asked and and I'm kind of on the path to figure out where where to go next with this. Nice. But it's all good, man. Like <laughs> everything you learn about how people are, how people feel, what's happened historically, I, I think it's all very, very interesting. Yeah, now that we have all the listeners like really enthused and happy and <laughs> went down that <laughs> no, they're thrilled about that <laughs> nice story um but I, but i think you know your your quest for this kind of stuff is really important because i, I don't know what kind of the bigger questions uh you have are and maybe we can get into a little bit of that just so we can get some background on what what you're thinking about but i think you know when you do these things all the information we have with psychology or mental health um really comes from these kind of studies. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about Pavlov and his classical conditioning and what that means. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of stuff is is based off these earlier sciences and these earlier studies. And as things come out, we have more and more coming out that we don't understand. And, you know, if if you want a good example of that, just look at the youth and technology like we were talking about and how... Mm -hmm that instant gratification affects uh, different behavior yeah. and not be a hundred percent associated with them. I'm talking about sure. thinking fast and slow and, and, you know, we're always on this concept of, of busy, busy, busy and technology increases that. And, and this idea of moving things that would be part of the emotional brain reasoning out. how do you communicate with people? How do you ask for help? How do you emote to people? even through technology yeah. with the influx of all sure. this stuff coming in, it becomes more of a task. And so you're not spending time mm-hmm. thinking about it. And then you are just thinking fast and just kind of putting it out there. Hey, can you do this? Instead of being like, Hey, right. I like your stuff. This it's, I'm kind of intrigued by what you do. Can we sit down and talk about that? Right. Yeah. There's like a, a mismatch of these different panels working I mean, I, I think we are moving in this very uh, strange direction with this, to your point, of getting kind of faster and faster mm-hmm. and uh, losing a lot of either time or interest or both uh, in connected like this, in a conversation where uh, we don't know where it's headed, for example. You know, there isn't this guarantee. You know, I'll use like like uh, online dating, and it's not enough by any means. Mm-hmm. This is just an observation you know, when you see someone online, at a minimum, you know that they're interested in you. In kind of the traditional way of meeting someone out or through friends or whatever, you don't have that initial guarantee that they're available. Right. <laughs> you know, so even that on its face um, changes the dynamic. You don't, you're not in the same kind of vulnerable spot and putting yourself out there or just seeing kind of where it goes and being open to that process. It's, it's very... Um, you know, it's like it's very planned to begin with. Like, are we both single? Do we both want this? Okay, if we don't meet these things, we won't. If we don't meet this criteria, we won't even talk to each other. Right. So we're missing out on all these ways that we could be experiencing pleasure or learning about ourselves or taking some hits. Quite frankly, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, having things not work out right. and being able to come out of that or discovering things that are great that you could have never planned. I mean, not to sound too uh, cheesy, but I, I often challenge people when they kind of get 
uh, ahead of themselves in terms of planning where they're like, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and they're really rigid in their ideas. I ask them to think back to, I don't know, the top three things that have happened in your life in any domain, personally, professional, otherwise. Did you plan that? Right. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. And almost across the board, people are like, no. I would have never thought I would, whatever, have traveled to China. I would have never thought I would met this person and married them. I would have never thought I'd have this child. Whatever it is that's significant to you, most of the time is not planned. Yeah. It almost can't be planned. Kind of the best things that, that can happen are not plannable almost, you know? So with this technology and this desire to kind of know what's going to happen before it happens or making all these plans, I think it's taking away a lot of the magic that we could have in our lives, really. And that, to me, is probably the saddest part. Sure, I mean, it's also sad that we're staring at a screen and, you know, I don't know, there's a a whole thing that I don't like about it. But that, that aspect, taking out a lot of the variability and having to adapt to changes is, is... I think the saddest part yeah, or, or, or the most concerning part, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I met my wife at a two year old's birthday party and I, <laughs> I definitely didn't go to the birthday party planning to find my future wife there. Um, well, I mean, as long as she wasn't the two year old, right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're but, like, it was her two year old party. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't going to go there. Cause again, this is probably, this episode's going to be brought up. <laughs> when I'm dead in 50 years and, and they're like, Oh, this really was uncouth, Steve. Um, but, but to go on that point, I do think there is a lot we learn through experiences and a lot that we mm-hmm. have to do. Um, we learn so much from adapting and changing and shifting. And yeah, if we don't honor that in some form, not that it always has to be that way. Um, Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying that everything has to be like yeah. fear factor in order <laughs> to live your life by any means. <laughs> well, there goes my idea of but... counsel in the future, fear factor. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think if we don't honor that, because we're we're moving more and more towards the, the simplicity, that, that fast connection, and, and a lot of it is really good. But if we don't find a way to balance that, then when we can adjust to it and, and these, these um, very firm attachments happen and then things don't go our way we have a harder time retconning it and coming back okay this didn't work so how do i move forward we become more focused Mm -hmm. on okay this didn't work and now i'm pissed off that it didn't work and people owe me something Uh because it didn't work and right you know it's something i see in, in sessions with adolescents a lot and i'm not blaming it all on technology but i do think you know they we do have a culture now where everything's almost instantaneous. And then when we have to sit with ourselves because someone's not available, it's it's impossible. Right. Right. It's almost impossible because you have no adaptation for it. Sure. And then all these feelings, Um, these big emotions come in that we were kind of keeping at bay. And then it's mm -hmm. severe periods of depression and anxiety happen. And I, you know, I don't have the one reason yeah. why there's a lot more of that in our society now, but I, I do say, you know, not being able to, to practice ad- adaptation or learn from failings or, or sitting with this miserable mm-hmm. emotion and, and finding a way out of it definitely affects our ability to yeah. move forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, i got to say, I, I mean, despite everything that I've just said, I'm pretty optimistic <laughs> about our ability to uh, counterbalance that. Yeah. Whether 
and and maybe not and not know how that is. I mean, coming coming back to physical culture, my theory about this, you know, in the recent past, this whole surge of race and death race and titan race and all these kinds of, of military mothers. combine yeah. race. Yeah. I feel like that's come out of this desire to have these scary challenges. I think it's in our animal nature to want to have these things to face. Right. So I'm not saying that all these people that are into it, just their lives are so easy, but I think generally our lives have gotten significantly easier right. and we still have that desire to feel, you know, blood coursing through our veins and sweat dripping down our face and, yeah. and, and feel a little excitement. So now we're going to create an obstacle course, which is just hard to be hard. <laughs> so you get scared. I mean, that's really what it sounds like to me. Like, we're just yeah. making this hard so that you get a little scared. I, I forget which race it is where you, you start off in a cold plunge. So you yeah. have to run the race cold and wet. Yeah. That's 100% like we're making this as, as gnarly as possible. Because people want to feel stuff still. Yeah. They want to have challenges to overcome. They, I mean, they want to do it safely now, and we have that luxury, which is wonderful. But there's still that desire there. Yeah. So maybe this, you know, next balancing recalibration um, thing is in the works for these kids that are wanting outlets for their emotions yeah. or, you know. I'm I'm laughing over here. It. I'm laughing over here because I've done like ten of those races. Because <laughs> I love I love the <laughs> races. Um, well, what are your motivations? You know, is it? Yeah. Is it? I mean, look, it's never about the thing. It's about your intentions behind it. I really do believe that. So if you really were excited to go, your friends are doing it, whatever, and you weren't thinking that much into it, that's one thing. But you've certainly seen people that are treating this like it's a life or death. Oh you yeah, know, no, they, they, team. They, they, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we. So I've I've gone to a number of them. Some with my brother and, and sister. Some with some friends. I've done a couple by myself, and it's uh -huh. really for me. It's really just a cool challenge um, to see yeah. see what they have to throw at me, and if I can adapt and and how I can overcome it. Sure. Um, I think the, yeah. the most gnarliest one, not because of the obstacles, but um, because of the intensity of it, was a five k. It was a, a zombie obstacle course race. It's called Run for Knives, oh, I think. Um, I ran that one by, <laughs> by myself, and you had zombies chasing you the whole time. So it was really easy because I was by myself. It was really easy to put myself in that mentality of, you know, this apocalyptic sure. kind of world and, and just running through. And you had, like, flag football belts on, so if you finish with the flags – you'd be a survivor. If you finish without flags, you'd finish as a zombie and you'd have different medals depending on how you, <laughs> how you did it. So no, the geek in me loved so this it. This is like, yeah, but this is, this is our leisure time. You're like, I want to get chased by zombies. I want to be in that head space. I want to, yeah. you know, be a little bit scared. I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and Total Recall came out, the fantasy oh, life of the future was a pretty one, a comfortable one rich one you know what i mean yeah. like his fantasy life was living in this high rise and being married to sharon stone you know what i mean yeah now <laughs> our fantasy life is getting chased by zombies <laughs> it, it is a lot of people's fantasy life so now a lot of people come into to counseling and they ask me they they'll say is it weird that i have like a plan for the zombie apocalypse and i'll say no yeah. <laughs> it's not weird what is your plan let me know i need to prep myself <laughs> 
Yeah, so so I don't know if this is a product of our lives being too comfortable. I don't know what it is. I just right. I just feel like we we all have this desire for kind of you know salty and sweet. Yeah. No, I definitely <laughs> we think. want we want some challenges and we want some comfort too. But sometimes when it gets too comfortable, we're going to seek out things that are a little bit tougher. Right. Um, and the name of that race with that cold water plunge in a in a dumpster is called Tough Mudder, and I've definitely done a bunch of those. Too. <laughs> I will say probably the coldest I've ever been was the first one I did. And it was on Mount snow in Vermont and it was like beginning of May and there was still snow on the mountain and it was the first one. And I was like, you want me to do what? I, I don't know if I want to do this, but it was definitely the cold. I've never like shook the way I did by the end of that race. Oh my God. Good for you. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. I guess, I mean, look, it's a fine goal. I'm certain that clients do it. it. It's fine. I'm making kind of these broad brush strokes, but I do think it's interesting that a lot of people are signing up for Seal Fit, and they're like, I want to get yelled at, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, that sort of thing. It definitely. So, I'm not quite at that level, but I I do think there is a. You're <laughs> right. I think we're there. There are more more things that we're trying to find a balance to this this comfort life and some people do and some people don't and i think for yeah. me it's you know growing up on the same movies you're talking total Re- recall and commando um yeah you know i've always since watching commando i've always wanted to walk through the woods with a tree on my shoulder and, <laughs> and a chainsaw on the other yeah hand. there you go just because <laughs> you're like oh i haven't done that uh maybe i should do that sometime um oh that's that was badass are you kidding me yeah, yeah. that's the best for sure i did no write, but that's i mean that's uh-huh i did write an article for dragon door and i there was a a picture that i sent them to put in the article and i had like a mini uh-huh. i had a mini chainsaw in my hand and like a small <laughs> branch on my shoulder because it was referencing yeah. uh commando and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love it. But it was not included in the I article. Somehow I missed like, that. Oh no! <laughs> I think it got cut when they were mm-hmm. editing it. But I still have the picture. Maybe I have to repost once this comes out. Yeah, you should repost it. Absolutely. And those who know will know. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So. But it definitely touches on. I mean, the, even like the seal fit or things like that. Um, in all seriousness, I, I do think there's a lot of people that feel like they should have been greater, or they need more of a purpose. I don't know how to describe that. So in that way, if they didn't do the military, they can get that feeling of the camaraderie or being put on a, you know, on a task or something like that because they're, they're trying to find fulfillment in that way and kind of in a bigger way than working their job, whatever that may be. We, we desire that. We desire acknowledgement for our efforts. And I think we do want to do something significant and important. So this is another outlet to pursue those things. No, a hundred percent. I'm so to have this conversation because it is that kind of, uh, philosophical, psychological question of why, why do these things happen? Why do we have these reactions and why is this a big thing? So it's great. Um, so Annie, I do have two questions for that. I always end the podcast with, okay, great. They go go in tandem. So I'm going to throw them at you. Uh, the first one is (laughs) if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And the second one would be, what do you think your superpower is? Hmm. Interesting. 
I mean, I have. <laughs> for the power that you wish to have, this is like the classic monkey paw one where you're like, I just want to wish for a thousand wishes. But right. I think I'll go and be a little uninventive and just say that I would want Magneto's powers. Nice. Because everything in this world has metal in it, including me. Yeah. You know, I had jaw surgery five years ago, so I have screws in my head. I could fly myself places. I mean, I think Magneto can fly yeah. part because he's, you know, bouncing all his power off of the other metals. Yeah. But I think... It's pretty cool, and the world that we have now, I think it'd be pretty effective. Yeah, no. I, I, what's my what's my what's my actual superpower? Yeah, I'm able to read in the back seat of a car. Oh my gosh! And not get sick. I want that superpower. Drive at any speed. It's so <laughs> sick. Reading in a car. I could be Moby Dick in a Dodge Charger back seat, nice. going 100 miles an hour on the 405 freeway. That's awesome. I feel just fine. Wow. Well, next time someone flips it on me and asks me what, what the superpower is I wish I had, it's going to be that because I love, <laughs> I love reading. Uh, I love writing. I love reading. Yeah. But I get so sick if I'm not driving and I'm reading oh, in man. the car. I get, it's not good. Oh, yeah. And it stays Are you books on tape then in the car? Uh, yeah, I listen. I listen to like Audible if I'm driving around. I don't. I listen to music sometimes too, but I really like the spoken word uh-huh. when, I, when I'm driving. So if I if I catch myself yeah, doing that, I nice. would do that. Um, but for the most part, <laughs> I don't You're go. Like I want to read and drive. <laughs> yeah. We just got to combine those two somehow. Maybe with technology, we'll get there. <laughs> and then It'll they'll be have so they'll have those obstacles. You won't get sick. Course races while reading. <laughs> To balance out. You know what? I, I have not tried that. Maybe the obstacle course that I do, I will do reading. Yeah. And see see if it makes if it passes the test. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well my true my true power is obviously just really a lot of humor and poor taste. I think that's what we discovered. <laughs> Well, I mean, definitely, this will be your archive of, of that superpower and my archive of <laughs> inappropriateness and without saying hi uh, in message. <laughs> so, Annie, I am very grateful that you've come on. I'm very honored to have you on as a guest. It was great to catch up, and thank you so much for, for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at thepromethianproject.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends. Please like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.